you're either going to live as free people based in virtue, or you're going to live in some kind of a tyrannical despotism without freedom. Those are really, at the end of the day, the only two choices you've got. Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Ideas Have Consequences. As Christians, our mission is to spread the gospel around the world to all the nations. But our mission also includes transforming the nations to increasingly reflect the truth, goodness, and beauty of God's kingdom. Tragically, the church has largely neglected the second part of her mission, and today, Christians have little influence on their surrounding cultures. Join us on this podcast as we rediscover what it means for each of us to disciple the nations and to create Christ-honoring cultures that reflect the character of the living God. Well, welcome to Ideas Have Consequences, the podcast of the Disciple Nations Alliance. My name is Scott Allen, and uh, I'm here today with John Bottomore and uh, Luke Allen, and um, excited today to, to be with uh, you friends to talk about a really important subject um, that we've talked about before, but I want to circle back around to it again, uh, just because I feel like it's... Um, yeah, it's really, really vital that we wrestle with this topic right now. Um, and that topic is freedom. Uh, I am going to start us out with a verse that uh, many of you know, but I just think it's a super important verse uh, for us. Um, it is 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom is uh, essential. It's an essential aspect of what it means to be a human being. Uh, the God created us with freedom, and we can talk a little bit about why he did that, but he created us with freedom, and his kingdom is a kingdom that is marked by, or one of the hallmarks of God's kingdom is freedom. And so for Christians, this is a really, really important subject. I think it's particularly important because we're living at a time uh, in uh, the 21st century where freedom, freedom is under threat as it's never been before, I think in my lifetime anyways, John, maybe you agree with that, Luke. Um, yeah. we're on, it's under serious threat, I think, because I've lived in a free nation, the United States, all my life. Uh, it's easy to take freedom for granted. It's easy to assume that we know what freedom is, what makes it possible. It's easy to do a lot of assuming about freedom, just take it for granted. Um, I think that's a mistake. Uh, I think when and if freedom ever is removed and we no longer have it, uh, we will <laughs> we will wish we had done more to preserve it. Um, you know, so I think uh, I'm concerned about the fact that we're we're in a, we're living in a time where it's under threat in a way I don't think we've seen before. And um, I think there's a lot of confusion too in the church. On the subject of freedom, there's different kinds of freedom. I mean, there's. I, I'm going to define it here in a second. Um, and um, but 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 before I do that, it's it, people talk about freedom in terms of different categories. Uh, so, for example, a religious liberty is a, a kind of freedom, right? It would be the freedom to make choices about deeply held beliefs, uh, to follow your conscience, the freedom to follow your conscience without being compelled or coerced to believe something against your will. So there's religious freedom, there's political freedom. This would be freedom that would allow you to, for example, 
choose elected representatives who are going to represent you in the government or even to speak the freedom to speak or to assemble some of these uh, bill of rights freedoms that we talk about in the United States. Um, there's economic freedom. That would be freedom to buy and to sell and to trade freely without being coerced or compelled. So there's a lot of kinds of freedom. There's The Bible talks about spiritual freedom as well, and this is really the deepest kind of freedom. This is a freedom, I would define spiritual freedom as the freedom to do what is good. Um, and that means it's freedom from sin, which is this force inside of us in our fallen nature that uh, kind of forces or compels us to do evil, to do what's wrong, what's disobeying, disobedient to God and his law, and, and from Satan as well. So spiritual freedom is, is super important. I think a lot of Christians um, are aware of that. We are aware of spiritual freedom. We talk about that. It's part of our sermons very often because it's connected to the gospel. I know we sing about it a lot in the church that I attend in the worship time, we there's a lot of worship songs now that talk about freedom, free, you know, I'm free, I'm, my chains have been broken, I'm free. And so there's a lot of freedom talk in our worship, but it's spiritual freedom. And I think there's a big disconnect for a lot of Christians between spiritual freedom and these other kinds of freedom. And I think that's, as we'll talk about in a second here, I think that's a consequence of the sacred secular divide, right? Spiritual things are important and things that are deemed unspiritual are not important. So freedom can be kind of divided in that way. We have a spiritual freedom that's important, political freedom, religious liberty, economic freedom. Oh, these are kind of not spiritual. So they're not important. We don't need to concern ourselves with them. I think there's a lot of apathy in the church when it comes to these other kinds of freedoms. But freedom is freedom, you know, and the Bible doesn't draw those divides probably as starkly as, as we would want to. It says, yes, there are these kinds of freedoms, including spiritual freedom, and that spiritual freedom is fundamental, but they're all important. Um, they're all part of the creation. So anyways, I, I want to start uh, by, I'm writing a chapter right now in a book that I've been working on for some time now called 10 Words, 10 Words That Transform Culture. Freedom is one of those words. And what I do in each of these chapters is I define the word as simply as I can, um, the true, I would say the true definition or the biblical definition. And then I define kind of the counterfeit. In other words, how is, how has the word been redefined and how is it understood uh, in the culture today by and large, especially by leaders in the culture and in our institutions and in universities and whatnot um, in the media so let me let me just share with you what I've got here, guys. Again, this is not um, this is this is my best ability to put words to this. It's uh, it's not obviously scripture here. This is just me attempting to bring some clarity here to an important topic. So uh, let me start with this. Um, I have as the uh, as the biblical definition of freedom or the true definition. This freedom is the capacity to self-govern or to act according to one's choices within God's created order and under his moral law. So just a couple of things about that before I talk about redefined freedom. Uh, the most important thing, I think two things. Number one, that um, freedom is about choice at a very fundamental level. It's about being able to make choices and make choices in a way that are not 
constrained or constricted or compelled. You could think of somebody who's in prison, for example. They don't have a lot of capacity to make choices about what they eat or what they do. Uh, they may, you know, their choices are very limited or a slave. You know, these are the opposite. The opposite of freedom is slavery, prison, bondage, captivity, tyranny, these kinds of things. People in those states have very limited choices, okay, or, you know, none, although technically we, we all have the ability at some level to make choices, even in prison. But, but, um, but it's this idea of choice the ability to govern yourselves, in other words, to make the choices about how you're going to live your life, right? Uh, but the biblical understanding of freedom assumes that we live in a world that God created, right? It's God's world. It's his created order, right? And he created it in a certain way. It functions in a certain way. And we're only free to the degree that we submit ourselves to that limitation, if you will, right? And that order includes a moral order, right? Um, so it includes an understanding of what's good and what's evil. So freedom is, 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 is the freedom to live within that world that God made. Now, let me contrast that with um, kind of how freedom, I think, is understood today or how it's been redefined. It's similar, but you'll notice a difference here. Freedom today, as it's understood or it's been redefined, is the power or the right to act to speak or to think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. That actually, I pulled that definition straight out of the Oxford English Dictionary. That, that is the definition that's listed at the top of the, uh, of the list of kind of, they, they further expand on that, but that's at the very top of their definition of what freedom is. Let me read that again. The power or the right to act, speak, or think as one wants so there's the choice thing. So that's similar. Without hindrance or restraint, that's what's different here, okay? It's this idea that we no longer, there's no reference here to God or to God's created order or to good or evil. What's at the center of kind of the redefined freedom is, is me, you know, is us. It's human beings. It's it's our choices to do whatever we want, essentially, you know, or sometimes people will add a caveat to do whatever we want, as long as it doesn't hurt someone else. Although I think that's disingenuous and I'll explain that in a little bit. Um, so anyways, um, let me just read one more thing that uh, kind of relates to these two definitions. Um, you know, so you've got a divide here. And on one side of the divide are those who affirm the truth that God exists and that as his creatures, that we flourish within the limitations of his creation. Uh, here, freedom is circumscribed. That means it's limited by God's moral law as well as his created order. Now, let me just explain that briefly, his created order. So, uh, let's say I believe that I can jump out of an airplane without a parachute and I'll be just fine and it'll be exciting and thrilling. So I'm going to essentially choose to ignore God's created order, in this case, the law of gravity. I'm just going to pretend it doesn't exist. So I'm going to go ahead and jump out of that airplane. That's, that's an act of freedom. In other words, that's a choice, right? So that's fr I'm free to do that. But that freedom isn't going to last very long. It's going to last as long as it takes to hit the ground. And then uh, I'm not going to have any freedom any longer. So uh, this is what it means by 
you kind of living with living within the limitations of God's created order, right? We're not God. And to be free means to respect those limitations that God has put into his, into the, into his, into the universe. Um, and when we do, when we live in that way, we are free. Now, the other side of the divide, um, any kind of talk of limits at all is really intolerable for these folks. Okay. Uh, Rod Dreher once said the animating spirit of secularism is its rejection of limits uh, or Nancy Piercy uh, put it this way. She said the sovereign self will not tolerate having its options limited by anything that it did not choose even its own body. As she goes on and talks about even our body isn't going to limit our choices. So for example, in the transgender movement of I'm a biological male and I choose to be a female, that has to be respected. So in other words, the, the kind of the defining thing with freedom as it's been redefined is there is no God. I'm on the throne. I get to choose anything I want. There's no limits. Okay. That's the big difference. There's no limits. One side says there is limits. There is a order that God made, and that sets some limits. The other side says no limits. Um, the problem with this uh, redefined freedom is when you get rid of limits, as we'll, I think as we'll see here, you get rid of freedom. John, I want to bring you in and Luke as well. Um, I'd love your thoughts or reactions to just those two definitions. And um, I'm still playing with these. I might change them. So love to have your thoughts on them. Yeah, Scott, uh, thank you. There's so much to unpack there. And I, uh, as you said earlier, I think it really comes down to an understanding of the difference of the sources. Um, in the secular definition, the source is the self, the source is unlimited thoughts, desires, wants, etc. In the biblical definition of freedom, uh, you started out by reading 2 Corinthians 3.17. So it's very much linked to the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So there's a direct linkage between the Spirit of the Lord and freedom. That is not to say that someone who doesn't believe can't do things in good freedom, um, can't only sin, but the, the, pat, the pattern of life is very different within those two definitions. So it comes down to a source, I think, if we really want to understand where we're going in not only our thoughts of freedom, but as importantly, if not more so, our actions of freedom. It was Lord Acton who said, freedom is the ability to do as one ought. And I don't think the secular definition of freedom will normally result in people acting in freedom as they ought. It will result in people acting as freedom as they want. So more of a license uh, than a higher calling of freedom or a higher calling of liberty that only the Bible can engender. So those are my initial thoughts. Hi, friends. Thanks again for joining us. We are so thankful for each of you for spending your time to learn about the practicality of biblical ideas and the profound consequences they have on our lives and the world. 
It's been fun to see the way God has grown this humble podcast and spread it around the world in the last six months. And a lot of that is thanks to you guys for sharing the podcast with your friends, churches, families, and neighbors. Let's continue the growth. If you'd like to learn more about the Disciple Nations Alliance and stay connected with us, visit the link down in the show notes, down in the description below, where it says Stay Connected. And sign up for our newsletter so that you can read about what God is doing in and through the DNA family today. Thanks, John. Luke, any initial thoughts from you on those definitions? Yeah, I think you set that up well, Dad. I really liked your definition. Um, If you wouldn't mind, would you mind reading that again, um, just so I can build off of that? Yeah, so the... um... The, the way that I've defined freedom, kind of true freedom, is the capacity to self-govern or to act according to one's choices within God's created order and under his moral law. Mm. And then the redefined freedom, the one that's common today, or, and I think even a lot of Christians think of freedom in this way, is the power to or the right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. Mm. So one of the biggest uh, differences there is the idea of restraint and order that you see in one versus the other. Yes. Um, I think you did set that up really well, Dad, um, with those definitions. Uh, I think two reasons that freedom can be a difficult concept and also um, for a lot of people today, just not really an interesting concept, which I think is really sad. Um, uh, one of the reasons is just a complacency. Like you mentioned, Dad, we take it for granted. Um, we've, we've grown up in a, a very free country and looking at the, looking at history, very, very free country, um, unlike, uh, much of world history. Uh, and we've just become apathetic to it. Um, and then also, uh, on this podcast, we've done so many episodes on hijacked this or that hijacked justice hijacked. Um, we did a hijacked freedom a while ago. Um, we're circling back to that today, but uh, with um, postmodernism, secularism, um, a relativism, especially, um, there's been, you know, as we can see, this um, real effort to take biblical words, pull them away from truth, separate them from truth, and slap a new definition on it. And that just doesn't work because freedom is absolutely conjoined with truth. And as soon as you take those apart, uh, you lose reality uh, and it becomes really confusing, convoluted, and um, I mean, you separate it from order is what you really do. Uh, and it can just become very confusing. So when people start asking the question, what is freedom? You're going to be met with a million answers. Um, and uh, at the end of the day, there is only one freedom. And no matter how many words you add before or after that, um, you know, the new popular one is reproductive freedom. That has nothing to do with freedom, but they like to hijack that word and use it there. Um so I think it's important to know the definition uh, and lean into it and then recognize the counterfeits. Um, and that comes with understanding the definition as well. Yeah, that's so good, Luke. I, I'd like to push in with you guys a little bit on, because I don't think it's at all clear to people, including Christians. Um, John, you talked about freedom is freedom to do what we ought to do, right? And why why can't we why can't we just be free to do whatever we want? Um, I don't think that that's clear to a lot of people. Um, Why doesn't that work, if you will? Um, And so let's explore that just a little bit. Um, You know, kind of the idea, the secular idea is freedom to do whatever you want so long as it doesn't hurt anyone else, right? Um, I, I was 
thinking a little bit about this uh, in relationship to a famous video that uh, came out a few years ago from, I think it was the Washington State Family Research Council or something like that. And uh, it was this uh, video of a young guy uh, interviewing students at the University of Washington campus. And he was asking them questions about identity. And so he goes up to one of the students and says to the student, hey, what if I told you that I was a woman? So he, he's a white young man, probably in his 30s. He's probably five foot eight, you know, or something like that. He's not particularly tall. Um, but he says, what if I told you I was a woman? You know, what would you, how would you respond to that? And the, and the student says, that's fine. If you want to be a woman, that's fine. Um, and I thought that was just so interesting because to me, it kind of captured the way that we think about freedom. In other words, you're free to think of yourself in any way you want. You have no limit, right? So if, you, if you're a born a biological male and you want to be a woman, that's fine. I'll respect that because you're free to do that. So, but then he wanted to kind of push the boundary of that a little bit. And he said, well, what if I told you I was a Chinese woman? And, you know, he went up to the next student and said, what if I told you I was a Chinese woman? And, and you could see the student struggling with that one a little bit, right? Now, I don't know if I, if, <laughs> I don't know if you have the freedom, in other words, to, to say that you, a white man, are a Chinese woman. But even there, they said, okay, if, you know, as long as kind of, again, as long as you're not hurting anyone, and if you think you're a Chinese woman, I'll respect that. I'll respect that. And then he pushed it even further. And he said, what if I told you, it goes up to a third student. What if I told you I was a six foot four Chinese woman, right? (laughs) (laughs) And this is where it really got hard. You know, like, I don't (laughs) think you could say that, you know, like it was just too much, you know, but I, I share all that because I think that really captured in some ways, the spirit of this kind of redefined freedom, uh, which is you're free to do whatever you want to do. Again, so long as it doesn't hurt anyone, you can be anything you want to be. Um, and I actually, my response to you in that is to, is to respect that, right? I have to respect that um, choice, free choice that you've made without limits. So I think it, it comes back to this question of, of what, what's wrong with that? You know, why, why can't we go go with that? you know, this kind of secular vision of freedom, you know, uh, let's not assume that everyone thinks that, uh, that, that that's wrong or that, 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 that that's bad. What are your thoughts on that guys? I would rephrase the question is not a wrong or right statement, but a better or worse statement. Um, mm. I mean, let's consider almost 8 billion people on the planet. Now, everybody doing their own thing. Everybody's saying I'm six foot four Chinese woman, or I'm a seven foot four Chinese woman or whatever, whatever you want. Just imagine 8 billion different do it my ways things. It's not, it's not necessarily a right or wrong or that, but what, what do we build in terms of a society that can flourish or not flourish when we have 8 billion different individual, um, by definition, selfish, thoughts of freedom, as opposed to a higher calling of freedom of, well, I, I, I certainly can be a six foot four Chinese woman, but, you know, is there something better that I can do to serve my fellow man or whatever? So I think the, the Christian calling of freedom is just a higher calling 
it's not necessarily a right or wrong on a lot of issues. I certainly, we certainly do believe there are rights and wrongs, but it's a higher calling as to how we ought to think and behave. It, it, it takes into account the others, and we can get into some verses that get into that in a minute if we want to, but it simply takes into account um, others higher than ourselves. And, and this isn't a definition really of freedom, it's maybe it's more of a description, uh, but I would say ultimately freedom is a radical ability to forgive, love, and serve as Jesus did. And that's a fearful thought that it's so radical, so high above our own ways and doings and getting out of ourselves that it that might be one of the reasons why we are uh, why, why why we don't look at freedom as as much as we should. But it's a huge encouragement if we would. Luke, your thoughts? Well, I just think that example that is so it's so good because. That's really, that's really the most popular definition, especially for people my age. And it's so catchy, you know, uh, freedom is being the truest version of yourself or following, you know, the, the passions, your heart and so forth. Sounds great. You know, woohoo. We love it. We put it on t-shirts, buy it at Target. But when you actually live that out, you know, if I went out and said, well, the truest version of myself is, you know, I'm the president of North Korea and, um, Mm -hmm. I'm going to start acting like that. (laughs) That's not going to work, you know? or we're already seeing it and people are accepting it, you know, with, um, transgenderism and so forth. And you're hurting yourself against the order that God has created. Um, and the Bible is, you're always hearing the word sin conjoined with bondage, slavery, um, like Romans six, six, uh, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. There's, there's a slavery to sin and we've been set free from that. Um, so if we, you know, follow our heart and our passions and our desires, the Bible calls that the flesh, very often we're going to lead, we're going to run after sin. Um, and, and therefore we're going to be in bondage to that. So following our heart often will just lead to, to slavery. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I want to push in a little bit. I totally agree with that. And, I'm, and both of you guys are saying the same thing. And I think I just want to help people understand why that's the case, because I don't think that's at all clear. I, both of you are saying, and I think this is correct, if everyone defines what is real for them, six foot four Chinese woman, I'm the president of North Korea, um, what you're going to end up with is absolute chaos. And I think that's that, that that it's just quite simple. If your if your situation socially is chaotic, then there is no freedom. Okay, freedom and chaos do not go together. Okay, <laughs> especially societally. Any any kind of society that devolves into chaos and you you know is not a free society, and it usually ends up in some kind of tyranny in the sense that somebody's going to come back. And and part of this is because we need order, right? I mean, we God created us to just need a basic level of order in our lives. And he's created an order and we're most free when we live and we respect the truth of that order, including the truth of who we are. I think another, uh, you know, last week I was, um, you might've seen this video too. I was struck by a video that uh, I know it went viral, but it was a professor um, from Berkeley University in, uh, in California and she was on Capitol Hill for some kind of hearing. 
And she had this interaction with Josh Hawley, a senator from Missouri. And um, she was talking about um, birthing people or something like that. And he, she was using this phrase that's now becoming more common, you know, but kind of birthing people. And, and so Josh Hawley kind of like said, are you talking about women? And then she said, well, you can have, essentially she said, you can have men who give birth, right? You can, men can give birth, you know? And she, he was like, how in the world do men give birth? And what, what she was getting at was that you, a biological woman can now claim to be a man, right? Say I'm transgendered and I'm a man. You could even have some level of surgery to kind of make yourself look like a man. Um, and then we have a right, the rest of us around that person have a right to respect that and to say, you are a man, even though you're a biological woman, you are a man and therefore you can, you can give birth as a man. Um, so it's, it's crazy, but where, where, where I'm going with this is where that conversation went after this. It's, it's crazy because it's, it's not crazy if you're starting from a let's say an atheistic worldview and, and, and where, where there is no God and there are no limits therefore. And if you want to be a man or a whatever, you can be that, but it's where it goes from there. And that's where that conversation went. The next thing that uh, happened was she said to Senator Hawley, you know, your line of questioning is transphobic and it's causing harm. You know, it's actually harming these people because many of them are committing suicide because they're not being affirmed. That was her basic position was that because people like you are not affirming them, they're committing suicide. So you're essentially um, aiding and abetting in their murder, you know, or their killing. And so what it was, was essentially a, a power play on her part to say, you can't say that. I mean, it, it, this is my words. You, you can't say that. If you say that you're, you're committing a heinous crime essentially. And so what's lost here is a sense of freedom, freedom of speech. And that's where he went. Josh Hawley said, are you telling me I don't have the freedom to question this whole ideology? And she more or less said, no, you don't. You know, you don't. <laughs> so I think when people go in this direction and define, you know, they, they basically say, you can be whoever you are, whatever you want. Other people have to respect that. And if they don't, they'll be silenced. You can see kind of how this goes in a you know in the direction of of tyranny of lack of freedom. So uh, again, just another example from from what's happening. But I, I want to come back to this, guys. Why is it that uh, why is it that freedom only can be sustained um, when we're pursuing what is what is true, what is true, and what is good? Because the Bible makes that very clear, right? That freedom only, freedom requires virtue. It requires people acting in a way that's morally good. Uh, why is that? What's the connection between freedom and goodness? John, you've mentioned it more than once, but um, I, I just want to explore it. Like, why, you know? Yeah, well, without um, without freedom or the right to exercise choice free from coercion, that's a precondition um, for 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 virtue. So we, if we don't have that liberty, that freedom, we can't even choose virtue. But I would take it to the third point of the golden triangle of of uh, of faith. So the faith is a precondition for 
or virtue. We won't think virtuously or act virtuously, and we don't have freedom. If, if we don't have faith, we, we, we can't have that kind of virtue. And if we don't have virtue, the type of freedom we choose will, won't be virtuous freedom. It will be self-oriented freedom. So they're all, all three are linked to one another, and they naturally strengthen and back one another. Let's talk about that, John. You're referencing um, what some have called the golden triangle of freedom, and it really is a biblical uh, way of understanding freedom. Oz Guinness is the one, I think, who brought it back into kind of contemporary thought and use in his book, A Free People's Suicide, which is an excellent book. Um, let me just explain that for people that aren't familiar with this, what, what, what's called the golden triangle of freedom. And this very much was the idea of freedom that um, America's founding fathers, I would say, adopted um, th this, this idea that freedom can't stand alone. It can't just be raw choice. It has to be rooted in virtue. So that's the first link. At the top of the triangle is freedom, but the, 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 the first side connects down to virtue. Now, there's the relationship between freedom and virtue. And uh, Benjamin Franklin, I've got a quote here. He put it kind of succinctly on why that's the case. He said, only a virtuous people are capable of freedom because as a nation becomes corrupt and vicious, they have need of more masters. Okay. So in other words, he saw very clearly if people are lawless, you know, just think about the opposite of virtue, right? You know, if they're going to be stealing and if they're going to be murdering and you're, you're going to have all this kind of social chaos, then you're, you're not going to be able to live free. You're going to have some heavy hand of government, some master that's going to have to kind of clamp down. Uh, so people, in other words, I think Franklin would, would say they need to, and other founding fathers, they need to self-govern based on God's law, right? They need to do what's good. If they do what's good, if they govern themselves, then they can live as free people because they won't need somebody else to kind of impose that on them. So that's the first link. And then they went on and said, but virtue requires faith or it requires religion, or in their case, it was very much Christianity. In other words, to be virtuous, we, we, it, we need a couple of things. Number one, we need to know what's good, right? So our religion informs us, Christianity informs us what is good and what is evil. The Ten Commandments tell us what is good and what is evil. For example, uh, the royal law in the New Testament, love your neighbors yourself. Uh, they tell us what's good and what's evil. So we need our faith to tell us what's good and evil. And then Christianity even goes beyond that. It gives us the power to do what's good, right? Um, because this is the Christian gospel. In our fallen nature, we really don't have the power to do what's good. We, it's not that we always sin all the time, but our default tends to be to sin, to be disobedient, to, to be um you know, to be vicious, to lie, to steal, to cheat, to act selfishly. That's a kind of a default that we all have in our fallen nature. We can't really overcome that. This is the Christian gospel, you guys, obviously, without help, without power. And this is where the gospel provides all sorts of help and power. First of all, it kind of judicially says Christ's perfect life, you can benefit from that. And then in exchange, he'll take your sin and he dies and pays the penalty for that. This is the amazing gospel. 
Then, so you're counted judicially as sinless, as virtuous on the basis or the merit of what Christ has done, his perfect life. But then beyond that, he gives us his Holy Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit include love and joy and peace. And then the last fruit of the Spirit is self-control, this ability to self-govern based on what's good. So the golden triangle of freedom, freedom requires virtue, virtue requires faith. And there, in the case of the founding fathers, that was definitely Christianity. And then the, the triangle connects back to freedom and faith requires freedom. And, and this is where I think the founding fathers clearly understood that, that uh, they understood what it means. They understood our human nature. In other words, we are made free, and they they put that in the Declaration of Independence. We are, uh, you know, granted in unalienable rights, uh, God-given rights, including life and liberty. So God made us free, and what that means at a basic level is that you can't coerce people at this basic level of their deeply held beliefs and their religious beliefs. Right? That has to be something that they freely choose. Um, in order to be real, right? And I think we all agree with that. You can, I can't, I can't force somebody to change their deeply held religious beliefs. I can try to pressure them and they can maybe act like they do, but I can't, that, you know, we're dealing with people's hearts. People have to make a choice. And uh, here, I think, I always think of Luke, I think of you and, you know, raising children, John, you've got kids. You can do a lot to encourage faith genuine faith in your kids, you can model it, you can teach it, you can encourage it, but you can't make it, you can't force it. I can't force Luke to be a Christian. I mean, at some point he has to make a choice, right? That's, that's in the realm of his sovereign choice, if you will, of his ability to make a choice about whether I believe this or not. And I think our founding fathers understood that. So faith requires freedom. And so you've got this cycle of Freedom, virtue, faith, freedom, etc. So I'm I'm kind of rambling on that a little bit, but I just I just think that's John. That's so important that that we kind of understand that at a basic level that freedom freedom is really connected to the Bible. It, it it's actually a mm-hmm. concept that makes no sense apart from the Bible. That that really has struck me as I've been writing this chapter, the Bible brings certain things to the whole discussion on freedom that if you don't have those, you just aren't going to have free societies. So, um, and, and that, and that, that is so true. And that, um, discovery, if you will, back to Luke's point at the beginning, that people tend to be complacent or take freedom for granted. If, if they have the aha that you talked about, that freedom is such an important point and, and message. It, it's, 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 it's the action. It's the point of the spear. If we think about the golden triangle, the core is Christian faith. The values, the beliefs are the virtues. The freedom is the acting out through words, actions, whatever of all of that. And so that's something we should be excited about, not complacent about. Mm. It's, you know, it's really a beautiful thing that we can choose. Uh, and and, and um, secular thinking can, cannot really choose a, a life patterned by, by loving freedom. So another verse that ties well to this is Galatians 5.13. 
for you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And 1 Peter 2.16 is very similar to that. So that's the power, the beautiful power of freedom in action that it's that it's for the good. And not only the good of the self, it's not only a choice for self. It might it's great for the self, too, but it's others thinking. So it's 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 a really powerful and noble and high calling type of thing. And and I think the founding fathers understood that. That's why they held freedom in such high esteem. And that's why if we had some people on from uh, socialist, communist, very coercive government type countries, I think they will have a much stronger connection to the thought of freedom Mm -hmm. than we might since we take it for granted in, in our country. And we we tend to think of it as something that's just, ah, oh, well, it's just what we have uh, and all. And, you know, with not getting into the political side of things or, or military or whatever, but we, we, we realize that people died for our freedoms as well. Yeah, absolutely. Luke, any thoughts from you on that? Hmm. Uh, no new thoughts. Just to sum up, um, the golden triangle is extremely important and it really does make sense when you, when you uh, think of the opposite. If freedom isn't virtue, using your choice to choose virtue, then the opposite is using your choice to choose evil. And immediately, if you do that, you're going to lose freedom. Um, yeah, that's right. That's you'd right. be in bondage you, to it. Yeah, that's right. And you can't, and in a society, at the level of a society, if everyone's doing evil, you can't have freedom, you have chaos. Um, this is what we saw historically, for example, in the French Revolution. The, the mm-hmm. French Revolution was near the same time as the American Revolution. The, the big difference was this. The American Revolution was based on the idea they both wanted freedom. Uh, they both talked about freedom, liberty. But uh, the Americans understood that that freedom has to be a freedom to do what's good. And that has to be rooted, that doing good has to be rooted in a Christian faith. So they, were, they weren't trying to impose Christianity. They knew Christianity needed to be freely chosen, but they were certainly advocating for it and saying, we need a religious society. You know, I mean, the founding fathers were all very clear about that. We need to have an active church, an active religious society in order for people to be virtuous so that they can actually be free. That's what the French revolutionaries didn't do. They, they essentially built their revolution on the redefined freedom that we talked about earlier, where they stripped God out of it. So the French revolutionaries were famously kind of atheistic. Um, They worshiped the goddess of reason and things like this. Um, It was freedom from God. And when it became freedom from God, it also became freedom from doing what is right and good. And so you clearly saw that. You saw this societal breakdown, violence, the guillotine, but that doesn't last. What comes next? It, what comes next is Napoleon Bonaparte, some kind of a tyranny. And it comes next because you just can't, you can't live in a chaotic, uh, it's, it's impossible to live. You're either going to live as free people based in virtue, or you're going to live in some kind of a tyrannical uh, despotism without freedom. Those are really, at the end of the day, the only two choices you've got. Um, there isn't this idea that we can just kind of 
do whatever the heck we want um, and sustain freedom. That's not, we are, we're going to lose freedom if we think that way. This redefined freedom, as it turns out, isn't freedom at all, is I guess where I'm, where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. So. And, and John Adams recognized that at that time, too, with his famous quote that our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. Uh, it is wholly inadequate to govern anything other. That's uh, right. Yeah. yeah. It, without a, a moral people who could be trusted with freedom, uh, you are going to end up with some kind of a tyranny. That, that's the only two choices that you see in world history, basically. Um, and and free free societies are very rare actually um mm, extremely yeah. it, it's, and it's not it's the the norm in our fallen world aren't free societies those the, those don't just happen they have to be really intentionally built cultivated the norm the default where we go without trying is tyranny right where you've got a powerful group of the let's say people at the top and they're going to treat everyone else essentially as slaves or serfs or peasants or whatever it is for selfish ends. I mean, that's, that's the norm I would say in our fallen world. Yeah. The source of government can enable and create atmospheres for freedom if they're right-minded about it, but the source of freedom is not from government. That's where, Mm -hmm. that's where corruption and power overtakes freedom. And so we, uh, we want to live in societies and government that respect freedom, but realize that ultimately that personal freedom and that liberty is given to each individual by God and how it's exercised and chosen, as we've talked about here, is either in a licentious, selfish way or in a spirit-led, other-centered, biblical way. And uh, similar to the freedom is the ability to do as one ought. There's also a quote that says, freedom exists not in the ability to sin, but the ability not to sin. So again, it's that same spirit that enables us to live a life patterned by not sitting, sinning rather than a life patterned by sinning. The result of that is a much more flourishing, healthy, loving, other-centered society. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. John. Yeah. I mean, when and, you think uh, about, sorry, go for it, John. Maybe just one, one other thing. When Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That abundant life can only happen in an atmosphere of freedom and an atmosphere of loving one another. That flourishing life can only happen in that way. We don't have an abundant life when we are in bondage to our own ways, our own thoughts, our own sins. It's only with the spirit of the Lord living in us can we really live that abundant life. And it's no, you know, it's no surprise that a life lived abundantly is a life that's a great gift to others as well. And it really shines a light for the gospel. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. I think, yeah. John, go ahead, Luke. Yeah. yeah, it's just so core as I'm, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about um, you know, the greatest uh, commandments, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, God didn't make us um, just, you know, wired to do those as robots. He gave us a choice to love the Lord our God with all our heart. He gave us a choice to love our neighbor as ourself, to seek the highest good. Um, 
so really behind those is this ability of freedom and it's 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 really what makes us human it's a beautiful thing um and that is gonna that is choosing life and life to the fullest is when we um are walking in both of those greatest commandments yeah it's so it's so it's so important i love what you guys are saying to recognize that god made us the free in other words that's part of our, what it means to be a human being. We all share that every human being around the world shares that, which is why there's kind of this deep longing to be free when uh, people are not, when they're imprisoned or they're enslaved or they're in tyrannies. They want to leave that tyranny and come to a free country, for example. That's because God made us free. And then the question is, well, why did he make us free? <laughs> and I think, I think Christians sometimes struggle with that question because we've used our freedom to rebel against God and to do all sorts of horrible, evil things. Like maybe mm-hmm. that was a mistake, right? God made a mistake in making us free. But uh, as I was writing on this, a couple of things just really jumped out at me. Number one, you know, is that what it means to be human beings first and foremost is to be made in God's image, right? That's what it, that's, that defines what it means to be a human being is that we're image bearers of God, which is an amazing, amazing thing. Well, in this case, God is free. Okay. Uh, God is really ultimately free in the sense that nobody coerces, compels him. Nobody's going to enslave God. Nobody's going to put God in prison. He does what he wants. (laughs) He does what he wills. The only thing that constrains God is himself. In other words, his own character, which is holy and righteous and good. Uh, So his own character constrains him. But beyond that, uh, he's free. So he then makes us in his image to be free. And so we're at our best when we're free. Um, And there's a lot of reasons for that. Like you were saying, Luke, one of the reasons is that Uh, God wants us to respond to him uh, as a person responds to another person, not as a robot response to its programmer or as a animal response to its trainer. Uh, No, he wants us to respond to him as a person in love. And you, you can't, again, I can't, I, I, you know, I always think about when I was dating my wife, Kim, And I fell in love with her before she fell in love with me. And I wanted to do something that would force her to love me, but I couldn't. (laughs) She she had to make that choice on her own. I had to learn that hard lesson that love has to be freely chosen, right? (laughs) So that's part of the reason God made us free. I think another reason is he wants us to have dominion and exercise creativity to do all sorts of amazing things in this world, to take the grapes that he's made and make wine and to create poetry and music and buildings and art and all these things. He wants us to do that. And you, you, you can do that. That's enabled through freedom, right? Does that make sense? Because, you know, I'm free to kind of express who I am, how God has made me, as opposed to somebody telling me you're going to do this. Um, so freedom is really essential to being a human being. But at the end of the day, freedom requires, um, freedom is freedom to do what is good, as you often said, John, because that's what God does. That's, he always, he uses his freedom only for the good. And um, you see this, for example, in the story of Joseph. Uh, It's such a powerful story of Joseph's brothers in the Old Testament. They throw him into a well in order to kill him because they're jealous that's a choice. They made a free choice to murder their brother. Um, 
we, we know the rest of the story. Some slave traders come along and actually rescue Joseph out of the well, sell him into slavery in Egypt. Long story short, he's elevated after you know all sorts of trials and tribulations. He's elevated to, to Pharaoh's second in command over the second in command of the most powerful nation on earth at the time. And God uses him in that role to save the world from famine because he has this God-given wisdom and insight about what's going to happen with this famine. His brothers come later uh, to Egypt to buy grain because they're struggling from starvation. They recognize Joseph and they're shocked. And Joseph then does this amazing thing of forgiving his brothers. And he says, you know, I forgive you. And then he says something that's so powerful. He says, you know, you chose, you, you used your freedom to choose to kill me, but God sent me here in order to preserve life on earth. And you get this idea that God even works over and above our, our evil choices to, to do his good, his perfect will, you know, on earth. So um, I'd like to just kind of move as we conclude our talk here, guys, today. I'd like to change subject a little bit. I'd like to talk about, we talked at the beginning about why I'm so concerned about this topic. One of the reasons is that uh, I see us living at a time when there's incredible threats to freedom. And um, I just see often freedom is this kind of very delicate flower that it thrives when conditions are just right. But if those conditions change, it's probably going to die and it can die kind of quickly, even in the span of a single generation, it has to be kind of preserved um, and carried forward um, and cherished and nurtured. Um, and, uh, I see us living in a time when there's a lot of threats to freedom. We've talked about one of the big threats is an internal threat. Um, I'm speaking here as an American in the United States. We've redefined freedom as license. You know, it's, it's freedom to do whatever you want to do. But as we've said, that's not going to sustain freedom. It's going to lead to chaos. And we're seeing that chaos, right? We're seeing rising crime rates, drug addiction, uh, just moral chaos. You know, you have to affirm that men can give birth to children, right? Just we're, we're, we're heading rapidly into kind of a degenerative chaotic time and you're not going to be able to sustain freedom in that kind of chaos. But beyond that, you've got um, threats to freedom externally as well. I, I look at, for example, the Chinese Communist Party is probably the most powerful tyranny in the world today, and they've got global ambitions, and they, you know, believe that it's their right to kind of rule the world. They want to expand their empire, if you will, around the world. But you've got another group; uh, these um, kind of I, I I think of them as global elites, uh, business, you know, powerful, very wealthy businessmen, business executives, political rulers. They meet in Davos, Switzerland, and they are very often, most of them are very secular. And I think they have this idea that we can create kind of a perfect society um, if we can exercise our control and kind of rejigger socially engineer society in just such a way, you know, we'll, we'll preserve the earth from uh, climate issues and et cetera, et cetera. I think their, their thought is benevolent, but they don't fear God. They've kind of put themselves in the seat of God 
And, you know, if we can get things just right, if we can get the power, the resources, the money together, we can, we can manipulate society in such a way that um, it'll create kind of this perfect idea of society. There, there's no room either in the vision of the Chinese Communist Party or this kind of globalist elite for freedom, like individual freedom doesn't factor into that in either way. And so both of those groups are gaining power and influence right now. I see those as threats. So we've got internal threats. We've got external threats. Um, the question then is, what do we do? Can, you know, is it too late? Uh, I don't believe it is. But before I talk about kind of what do we do or how do we respond to that, any thoughts on these threats that we're facing from you guys' perspective? There are, there are plenty of examples of present day threats in uh, freedom of speech in all parts of our society and in, and in the West. And it's always been that way in uh, socialist communist states, but it's, an, it's, it's fairly, fairly new here just in the last decade or so. And it's increasingly so. We see this in the university perhaps more than in, in other uh, parts of society, but it's, uh, it's increasing in other areas as well. So absolutely. These are the kinds of threats. And if it starts at um, uh, kind of a com limiting or compelling, compelling certain types of speech, uh, who knows where it can stop. And it's usually used to stifle speech. It's not about exchanging ideas and let the best idea win. It's about uh, stopping free speech. It's about stopping ideas and it's about accusing and canceling and these sorts of things. And so ab absolutely, this is a threat to an orderly society and a threat to a flourishing society when we have this, this type of thing on the march. So I agree uh, with what you've said. Yeah, John, you're talking, I think, about this kind of woke ideology now that's kind of dominating elite circles in the West. And one of the things that struck me as I've really looked into that ideology or that religion even is that it doesn't value freedom. It doesn't have a value for freedom. And they talk openly about that. They'll even disparage freedom as kind of this white European Christian idea that is used by powerful oppressors to kind of get their way with, the, with their victims. Yeah, so they'll openly again, disparage they'll openly disparage freedom. Yeah, go ahead, John. That's mm -hmm. right, because again, freedom properly exercised is a good, orderly, um, beautiful thing, and it results in flourishing societies. So they rightly see the threat to their beliefs. Um, and and so that's why freedom has to stay stay strong. We have to continue to contend for freedom of speech and uh, freedom of worship and the other expressions of freedom that you talked about at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. The highest, the highest freedom is, is in their view, it's this no limits. And this is where it runs. Mm -hmm. This is the rub, right? The rub is I can do whatever I want and you have to respect that. And if you don't, uh, I, then your freedom is I'm going to take away your freedom. You don't have any right. You know, you, you have to affirm. Okay. So for example, you saw this recently with the cake situation in, in, uh, in Denver, Colorado, right? You know, not only am I free to have a gay lifestyle or to be married as a gay couple, but you have to affirm that even if you're a Christian, if you don't, uh, you, you know, I'm not going to respect your religious liberty. I'm going to force you essentially to affirm what I believe. And so it's this forcing, not allowing you to speak, 
forcing, compelling. You even see it in our education system now. The kids have to learn a certain kind of curriculum. There's no kind of respect for different people's beliefs in this anymore. So we're losing this woke ideology is, is an anti-freedom kind of ideology. And that's because freedom, again, is so closely linked to the biblical worldview. Anytime you kind of pivot off of the biblical worldview, a biblical view of what it means to be a human being, a biblical view of the good, uh, you lose freedom. So we're losing mm-hmm. it in the West as this, this new ideology kind of takes, um, take center stage in a lot of ways. I'm sorry, Luke, I cut you off there. Uh, no, you actually were, you pretty much said exactly what I was going to say. It's just, it's a, it's a perfect example of how, when you leave behind God's definitions and God's order, um, and immediately, not immediately, it very quickly will get confusing. Uh, it just stops making sense because on one hand, they're starting out with freedom. Uh, the woke ideology often likes to start there. They might not call it that, but they want to be, you know, free to do be whoever you want to be. Um, so then, you know, someone will come along and be like, all right, you know, I'm a female now and I want to give birth to a kid, um, even though they're biologically a man. Um, so they're, you know, they're following the follow your heart kind of freedom, but then immediately after that, when someone else uses freedom to say, well, that's inaccurate, you know, freedom of speech will contradict them all of a sudden freedom's the enemy. Right. Um, you can't say that. Right. So they start out, be, you know, wanting to be free. And then right afterwards, like, wait, 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 no, only I can be free. You can't be free too. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it exactly. just gets so confusing. Yeah. Limitless freedom is really an oxymoron. It's never going yeah. to work. And so even yeah. to call it freedom is something I struggle with. It really, mm-hmm. this redefined freedom really isn't freedom at all. There's, a, you know, so exactly. So yeah, we've got a lot of threats, guys. We've got internal threats. We've got external threats. I think more than any time in my life, and sometimes I do. I you know, uh, you know, it's we could lose it. We could. I I shudder at the thought that my kids and grandkids would grow up in a totalitarian kind of society or situation. Um, especially, I, I it what grieves me is because I've known freedom, and it's like this idea that. I would, that freedom would be lost in my adult lifetime just really grieves me, you know, because I'd always wonder, did I not do enough to, to keep it alive and to pass it along? Um, it's something that bothers me a lot, actually. So the question then is, what can we do? What, what can we do as Christians? And we'll end on this, what, just this discussion, what, what do we do? How do we keep this flame alive and pass it down? Um, do, or do we just shrug our shoulders and say, nah, it's too late? What do we do, John? Well, the same thing we do for a lot of things, which is uh, uh, trust in the Lord, pray, uh, contend for the things that we know are biblical truth. Again, seek that higher calling of freedom. We still have the opportunity to be salt and light in our society. So continue to preserve what is good to the right calling of freedom and 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 love um, and, and use that as a light. And let, let's let examples of Christian freedom, of healthy families, of healthy churches, of healthy neighborhoods, um, do what only they can do. Be that example and let, you know, let people compare that to the compelled approaches of the dark side or, or, or contrivings of the state or whatever and we just we just have to allow that to 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 win out and and above all 
continue to pray and continue to walk in a way that's pleasing to him. I, I mean, I, I know these sound all very elementary um, and, and they are basic, but they're, you know, they're straightforward truths that we have from, from scripture. And ultimately in the end, we trust in the Lord. And, yeah. Yeah. I think it, um, as we see in culture, this loss of freedom in a, in one sense, it's pretty easy to push back against because um, like we've said, they're losing it. It just loses reason. Um, so in a way you can go out and debate someone pretty easily and uh, point out that, you know, following a contradiction of freedom is not going to lead you anywhere. Um, but I think what's more important to start in the church, it, it worries me to see this, uh, the redefinitions of freedom and the, you know, the slipping away from it out in our culture and then looking to the church and not hearing much of an urgency and an emphasis being put on it. So I, I think we need to um, recognize that first. You know, in the church, we definitely know what freedom is, but we uh, maybe keep it too theoretical sometimes, or uh, I don't know, uh, you know, freedom in Christ, we say that, but what does that look like? And uh, I want to I wanna start exploring more really applicable applications of that. And once the church can grasp that and really recognize the importance of it and this, the centrality of it to the gospel, um, then we can be living it out and it, it can start there. And as long as we're standing on the truth and then promoting freedom, I mean, that's, that's really what Christ came and died for. I think of Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So, yeah. I, you know, Christians right, you know, know that verse but let's, let's, uh, let's get specific in how we apply that. Just building off what you're saying, Luke, I think that in the church, very often we talk a lot about freedom, but it tends to be limited to spiritual freedom, freedom from Satan, from sin, you know, our chains are broken, you know, we've been set free. Um, and we love that, right. There's a lot of talk about that, but what isn't talked about is this golden triangle of freedom this, that earlier generations of Christians and our founding fathers talked about because their focus went beyond just spiritual freedom. They didn't in any way diminish that. That's so important. That was the ability to live virtuously because now we're free from Satan and sin. We can live virtuous lives. But they had something else in mind. They wanted to have a free nation. And I think this is where a lot of times Christians today shrug their shoulders and they say, oh, can I, who cares, right? All that matters is I'm spiritually free, free nations. That, now you're talking about culture, politics, and these things aren't really interesting to me as a Christian. I think that's grievous because um, God cares about all of life, right? And he, you know, there's a reason that free nations get, you know, came out of a time in history where the Bible was open and the biblical worldview was kind of was uh, blooming and flourishing after the Reformation. I mean, that's where you begin to see free nations kind of come into being in some ways. Uh, there's a connection between spiritual freedom and political freedom. We should champion that. We should love that. And, and I sometimes wonder, do, do you want to have your kids live in a tyranny? Is that okay for you? Uh, live in, you know, a, a brutal dictatorship? Uh, I don't, you know, I <laughs> So yes, spiritual freedom is absolutely fundamental and essential, and that's core to our message, but we have to be champions of freedom beyond that. We have to be champions of religious liberty, freedom of speech, political freedom, free nations, I, I believe. So I think that needs to happen for us to kind of keep freedom alive. We have to recover this fuller understanding of freedom. 
as the church. I think another thing, um, John, you mentioned families, and I just think families are so critical on this discussion of freedom because families are where freedom is learned, actually. Actually, it's where virtue is learned. You could think about families, ideally, anyways, families should be the kind of the, the laboratory of virtuous self-governing life. So like, for example, when your kids are really young, they don't know how to self-govern. They're just going to go off and do whatever, right? They're going to get into all sorts of trouble. <laughs> and the job of parents over time is to help them to know what's right and what's good so that they can be free, right? To go out into society and to live a healthy, flourishing life as a free human being. It requires some training. It requires some discipline. And that happens in a family. Families are really essential to this whole process because it's kind of this training ground for virtuous living. It's no surprise that freedom has broken down in, in the society in the West as the family is broken down. We see those two things running on parallel tracks. So when people, young people aren't being trained to live virtuous lives, if they're living, if they, if they get involved in crime and drugs and all sorts of things, then it's going to be up to the state. They're going to end up in jail, prison. There's going to have to be some kind of constraint that's put upon them else, you know, later in life. That's not ideal. You know, you want them to be able to learn that when they're young in a family, you know, with a mother and father that are doing the kind of correct biblical discipline that's necessary. So all that to say, I think Christians right now, we have to kind of rekindle our own vision for families and for raising children that, um, you know, know the Lord, love the Lord, and actually can self-govern in a virtuous way. I think that's an essential building block here to, to kind of recovering freedom again. We have to know freedom. We have to champion it. We have to live it. And we have to pass that on to the next generation, particularly in our families um, and the way that we raise the, the children. So those are a few of my kind of concluding thoughts. I'll turn it over to John and Luke for concluding thoughts that you guys might have as we wrap up here today. Scott, I think yours was a, a, a great closing, and it just made me realize when we talk about the delicacy of freedom, how, how it was won. It was, this freedom was first won by death on a cross and burial and resurrection. And, and so it was hard, hard won. And in a, you know, just in a patriotic sense, freedom was also won in a hard sense through, through war and such. So it, it's a, it's a, it's a very delicate yet powerful and expansive idea, and we need to treat it as such. It's a it's a it's a beautiful thing that if we, starting in the church, starting in the family, can exercise freedom and be that and demonstrate it through the salt and light actions that we do in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our nations, then freedom can win. Uh, against yeah. these kinds of challenges and threats. But it first comes by realizing how, uh, you know, what, the, where the source is from and, and how fragile it can be against the whims, first of all, the whims of humans, and then the coercive power of the state. I just think it's such a great point. I just want to underscore it, John. The, you know, one of the things that gives me hope that freedom can prevail is that, again, it's inbuilt, right? People want to be free, right? At some deep level, right? Uh, you know, it's, it's very few people that want to live in prison or in slavery or in tyranny. I mean, 
I understand that there's some kind of like, there is a level of wit at which um, that can be comfortable, right? You have, <laughs> if somebody's making all of your choices in life, then, you know, um, I, I always think of the, uh, you know, the, uh, it, the Jewish people after they were set free from uh, slavery in Egypt, right? They started complaining because they were wondering who's going to feed us now, right? I mean, there's a burden that comes with freedom. I understand that. But at the same time, people want to be free. There's this deep longing. And uh, so I think that allowing that to kind of guide and direct us, it gives some hope too. So. Yeah. And in a similar way too, I mean, with your original definitions at the beginning of the podcast, Ed, one of the key differences between true freedom, biblical freedom, and, and the, uh, the counterfeit is, is order. And again, that's something interestingly that all humans have a desire for for order and structure, uh, no matter how much people try to push against that and say they just want to run after their heart and whatnot, they're always going to come back to it. We all, we all have a, um, a worldview uh, that orders our lives, um, and that can be formed by uh, a variety of reasons, but we, we just have that intrinsic value on our hearts. Um, so that, that goes conjointly with- That's an inbuilt with... need as well, Luke. It's one of the most fundamental human needs. It's just basic order, you know, some Mm-hmm. So that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, as a takeaway, um, after audience, after listening to this, I'd encourage you to look at the counterfeits around you, um, and just play them out say, where is this going to go? Where is this going to lead? And it can sound good at first as sin usually does. Um, but in the end, it's going to lead to slavery and bondage and just continue to think about it. I think it's something that I, I definitely want to continue to learn about. I know I, um, have a long way to go. Um, we'll be giving more resources in this episode for you to dive deeper into this, such an important concept and one that I feel like we need to play catch up on critical time. It's, I think it's, you know, a burden's falling on our shoulders, you know, God knows the times that we're in, but, uh, I think it's up to us to kind of step up to the plate and, uh, appreciate the hard fought, um, battles either on the cross or on the battlefield that, uh, have gone into winning our freedoms that we've taken for granted, but we've got to be the ones to step up to the plate now and to preserve the ideas of freedom, the truth of freedom, and uh, pass that along to the next generation. So anyways, guys, great conversation. Thanks for the time today. And uh, for all of you listening, I hope this has been helpful and encouraging to you to, to get engaged and to keep this flame alive. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Ideas Have Consequences, brought to you by the Disciple Nations Alliance. If you have a minute, I would encourage you to click on the link down in the description below where it says Episode Landing Page. On that page, we have the entire episode neatly broken up into timestamp chapters and the transcript for further study. Also, a few resources that will help you dive deeper into this critical subject. The two books we'd like to highlight this week are A Free People's Suicide by friend and previous guest on the podcast, Oz Guinness. By the way, the episode with Oz titled Hijack Justice was one of the most deep and insightful discussions we've ever had on biblical freedom. The second book is If You Can Keep It, The Forgotten Promise of American Liberty by Eric Metaxas. Lastly, my dad mentioned it very quickly at the beginning of the episode, but he's currently working on a new book where he's going to highlight critical, essential words that our culture is currently trying to redefine. Words like justice, freedom, and eight others. And then he's going to point back to the biblical definitions, just like he did in Why Social Justice is Not Biblical Justice. He'll be critiquing the culture and highlighting the Bible and presenting a way that you can hold to its solid and timeless foundation. 
That's it for today. On next week's episode, we'll begin to talk about one of our favorite topics, which is church. What is it, and what is its role in God's plan for the nations? 